immortality to mortals. I hope that's what you celebrated on Thanksgiving, that there was one who gave immortality to those of us who are dying. And I don't know what you can find bigger than that to celebrate on Thanksgiving, but immortality. Today I want to talk in detail about something that I consider to be very urgent for the church today. An urgent word that you may not have ever thought of as an urgent word. It's called hope. Today I've titled the message, The Necessity of Hope. And I hope today to be able to communicate that this word is not optional equipment for the church. It is the essence of who we are, the necessity of hope. We must hold on to this blessed hope to survive the last days of the church. The Bible tells us that in the last days leading up to the return of Christ, things for the church will get very, very difficult. And in the middle of that, you're going to need this word, hope. Webster's Dictionary defines the word like this, to anticipate, usually with pleasure. Hope is to anticipate, to expect something. Now, you need to understand this word always refers to something in front of you. It's not with you. It's not behind you. It's in front of you. It's an expectancy. Something's coming. Hope is never focused on something that is behind you. Hope is based upon expectancy. Our hope, church, is in the fulfillment of God's past promises. But the realization of those promises is in front of us, not behind us. Hope is one of the big three. That's what we like to call them, the big three that the Apostle Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians 13. Most of us know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, you know, and, but you get to the very end, and he reveals what three things, three things. The greatest is love. But inside of this verse, verse 13, let me read it to you. Three things are going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And then he says something. Even though there are three things that are now eternal, the greatest of the three is love. These three things... You need to understand, church, are eternal, and they are also connected together. They do not stand independent of each other. They are eternally connected. Let me explain their connection. You can't say you have faith in God and live without hope. You can't say, I have faith in God, but you live a hopeless life, then your faith is illegitimate. You cannot say that I have hope, but I don't love, because hope is based upon love. You see, they are interwoven together. 
Someone asked me one time if we would still have all three in the heavenly realm. Would all three, and the great, because some people have read, in fact, there was a time in my life when I also read it that way, I'll make a confession, that when we crossed over into the heavenly eternal realm, that love would be all you would need. There would be no need for faith or no need for hope. And I'll address that in a moment. Will there be love in heaven? Will there be faith in heaven? Will there be hope in heaven? We will still need faith. And, and that's why a lot of people, when it says, and the greatest of these is love, some people have said, well, then there won't be faith in heaven. When all things are revealed and made, no, made known, when you see him face to face, what would be that some people say, what would be the need for faith when you've already seen him? What would you, uh, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. So would you still need those in the eternal realm? Would we still need hope in heaven? What will expectancy look like in heaven? What will future expectations, when you wake up in heaven, what would your future expectations be? That's what hope is. So Paul said, and now these three remain, these three remain. They are eternal, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So let's do something. Let's back up. And the Hebrew writer describes faith like this. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is confidence that what we hope for, you see faith and hope are now joined. Faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Faith is being sure that my hope is real. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Sure and certain confidence. That's what faith is. Sure and certain confidence about what? What you hope for. It's not just sure and certain confidence in nothing. It is sure and certain confidence in something that we hope for is actually going to happen in the future. Today, I declare to the church the necessity of hope. That same chapter lists the names of the heroes of the faith. Those who never let go of their sure and certain and confident hope and expectancy that God was going to keep his promise to them. So it was years ago, um, I came up, because I've really always had this thing about this word. Ever since God did his move in my life, I have this amazing hope. That's the only way I know how to describe it. So several years ago, I, I thought I need to come up with my own personal definition. So here it is, and it describes the picture that I chose for the TV today beside me. I, I looked through a lot of scenes to try to, to create an image that would describe what hope is to me. Here it is. Hope is believing that something marvelous is just over the next hill. So I want to picture myself in this scene, and this is the journey that lies in front of us. And there are 
treacherous things along the road, and there's ups and there's downs. But here's hope in my definition. Something wonderful and marvelous is coming toward me. It's unstoppable. It's a promise of God. It's mine. Nobody can take it away from me. And it's closer to me today than it was yesterday. And tomorrow it'll be closer than it was today. And it is so amazing that it doesn't matter what I have to deal with today in the valley of the shadow of death because tomorrow's hope is greater than today's valley. Now, that's my personal definition. Now, here's why I came up with that. I have also personally concluded that I can deal with almost, and I'm going to say that word carefully, I can deal with almost anything today knowing that something marvelous and wonderful is on its way toward me and it's mine. You see, the faith and the hope and the love go together because it is that expectancy, that hope that gets me through the darkness of the events that happen in my life in the time of waiting. Because the hope is bigger than any of the trouble that I might face in the time of waiting or on the journey. And I said almost anything. I don't test God, but I believe that my hope is, can get me through almost anything today. So far, that has turned out to be true. This is where I'm really going today. I want you to, maybe you've never thought of it like this. Hope is in front of us. It's in front of us. Our expectancy and the reason for our faithful perseverance and dealing with trouble is hope is in front of us. The hope that is in front of us is based upon faith. And the faith is based upon the love of God revealed through the Word of God. Now, here's what you maybe have never thought about. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. I want you to imagine that faith and love are behind us and with us. They are in the past. The Bible reveals past events of faith and love. They are ever-present today. I have faith today. I have encountered love today. But hope is not here now. It's not here. It's in front of me. It's an expectancy. It's something that's coming, but it's not here yet. So while faith and love, these three remain, faith and love, I have access to faith and love, and I have hope, but I haven't received it yet. It's coming. It's on its way. Our hope, that which is in front of us, is based on something that is behind us. And something that is with us, love and faith. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These three things will last forever. Now, do you think we will ever stop experiencing? Now, for the question I asked earlier, will you need faith and hope in heaven? Some people say no. I used to think, man, maybe not. And I think I was terribly wrong. Do you think you'll ever stop experiencing something new in heaven? Do you ever think that you'll run out of new things to do and experience in the eternal kingdom of God? If God is infinite, how could you and I ever fully experience someone 
who has always been and who always will be. You, we could never fully experience him. So if faith and love and hope, so, so will they be there? Yes, because you can never fully know him. You can never fully experience him. It'll always be growing into something that's eternal by his very nature. Let me give you a spiritual perspective today. Faith and love are behind us and with us. Hope is in front of us. These three remain, and all three are urgent and necessary for us to persevere in the last days of the church. I declare the necessity of hope today. You may not know it, but you must realize that when you lose your hope, if there's ever a situation, and I, in, in 30 years of ministry, I can tell you, I have encountered people that at some point in their life, they have lost their hope. They have lost this idea that something marvelous is coming toward me. It's not here now, but I know it's on its way, and it's mine. It's a promise of God, and I'm, I'm waiting on this blessed hope to be realized. If you lose your hope, are you ready? Maybe you don't know it, but when you lose your hope, you have lost your faith and you have lost your love. They are connected. You say, well, I have faith, but I don't have hope. No, you're deceived. Well, I love, but I don't have hope. No, you're deceived. When you lose your expectancy, church, when you lose your hope of that which is coming over the next hill, you have lost sight of the love and the promises of God that have been revealed to you about your future. When you lose your expectancy of that which is coming over that next hill, you have lost your faith because you no longer are confident and sure and certain that God is able to keep his promise to you. You see, there's a connection. I have faith. I don't have hope. Well, faith is hope. It is hope. It's being sure that what he promised you will actually occur. That same chapter in Hebrews that defines faith, confident, sure, and certain, says this about those who lived by faith. What better example of true, genuine faith than Abraham, which we call what? The father of our faith. Let's go to verse 8. It was by faith. Now, there's the topic. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. So let, let's break it down. It is by faith that Abraham left his house, left his family, his heritage, his homeland, and he's going to leave, not even real sure where he's going. It just God said, move. By faith. He went without knowing where he was going. Verse 9. And even when he reached the land God promised him. Here it comes. He lived there by faith. Now he's identifying the topic. He lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in a tent or living in tents. And so did Isaac, his son, and his son Jacob, who inherited the same promise. The Bible says that Abraham was like a foreigner living in tents. But he had faith and he had love. Two of the three were behind him and the third was in front of him. Hope. 
That sentence describes, whether you've ever thought like this or not, that sentence describes every one of us today. We are like foreigners living in tents. We are like foreigners living in tents. We are, the Bible describes believers, followers of Christ, those who belong to God. They don't belong to this world. It describes us as foreigners, aliens in a world that we do not belong to. Why? Because we belong to the kingdom of God, not this temporary kingdom of darkness. We are all eternal souls. All of us, we are eternal souls living in temporary tents. And when I say tent, I'm describing this earthly body, this mortal flesh. We are all eternal souls living in temporary tents, living in temporary housing. And that's how Abraham's journey begins, by faith. Leave your permanent home behind. You're going to live as a foreigner in the temporary tent world. This has been going on since the time of Abraham. Foreigners living in temporary tents. Do you know what the very next verse is? Verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward. Now, what's his circumstance? His circumstance, he's left his homeland. He's left his permanent house structure, whatever that might have looked like. Now he's become a nomad. He's living in tents. He's eagerly, confidently looking forward to what? A city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now, he's living in a tent. And if you live in a tent very long, you'll look forward to something permanent. Confidently looking forward. There's faith. This is the chapter that defines true faith. He's confidently looking forward to what? A city. A permanent structure whose architect and builder is not man, but God. Confident, sure, and certain that God's love is going to keep his promises about the future children of God. You can be an Isaac. You can get into this family, church. Today you need to understand that Abraham became the father of our faith. And by his son Isaac... And Jacob, and what would follow, the children of God were being identified, and a way into the family of God was being opened up. You and I could become an Isaac. I remember when I did that Jerusalem series, I made a point in almost every one of those sessions that Abraham took his son Isaac on the altar, and he was going to sacrifice him on the altar of sin and death. But God provided a substitute so that Isaac could come off and the substitute would take his place on the altar. A lamb took his place and you and I can become that Isaac in the scene. And what that really means is that you and I can become the children of God. Yes, today we live as foreigners in temporary tents. Just look around. We live as foreigners we don't belong to this world. We live in temporary tents, but we are confidently looking forward, there's the word hope, to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God, 
and you need to understand, listen carefully to what I'm saying. That city will only be inhabited by the children of God. Only the children of God will be in that city. They are the blood-bought children of the Most High God, and they will become the inhabitants of this future city that Abraham looked forward to, a city whose builder and architect was God himself. In fact, this church has shirts that we wear around on the back that says, what, heaven's coming. It's the idea that we never take our eyes off of this blessed hope, that something's coming. It's closer today than it was yesterday, and it'll be closer tomorrow than it is today. Heaven's coming. The Apostle Paul understood this foreigner living in temporary tents issue, and he also connects it to hope. Now, Paul comes 2,000 years after the time of Abraham, and the story is still the same in the church age as it was in Abraham's age. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, listen carefully. For we know, Paul's writing to the church, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, he's talking about this body, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies in this heavenly realm. We will not be spirits without bodies. You won't be Casper the friendly ghost there. You're going to have a body. And while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan. And we sigh. I turned 66 this past week. And you know, I've never been 66 before. And I understand when he says this, and while we're in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies. Amen? So that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So we are always confident. Here comes faith. We are, the true church, we are always confident that even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, these temporary tents, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, by faith, not by sight. We live by believing, not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. There's that faith word again. We are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is the same. It is to please Him. Do you see it? I'm asking. Faith, hope, and love. The faith and the love part reveal our blessed hope, our future. That reveals the next big point I want to communicate today about faith, hope, and love. There is no faith, hope, or love 
without waiting. This is when it gets real. There is no faith, hope, and love without waiting. Do you believe that? Faith is to be confident and sure about that which we hope for in the future. Faith is being sure and certain of what you hope for in the future. That describes the time of waiting. Waiting is faith, and faith is waiting on God to keep his promises. Let me prove it to you. Abraham's considered the father of our faith. Abraham waited a long time as a foreigner living in a tent life. He waited a long time. In fact, if you go back and look at the story, Abraham's 75 years old when he gets the call of God. And for the next 25 years, he's living in tents. He's a foreigner living in tents, waiting on the promise of God. Romans 4, verse 18. Here comes the story from the New Testament. Even when there was no reason to hope, no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that God, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though he was about a hundred years of age, he figured that his body was as good as dead. Now you have to understand, at the age of 75, he gets this promise that you're going to have a son and you're going to have children, 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 children. They're going to be more than the sands of the sea, more than the stars of the sky. An entire nation is going to rise up out of you, but he's got no son. And that's 75, and now he's a hundred, and now he's not feeling very young. Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he's at 100 years of age. He figured his physical tent body, the temporary tent body, was what? As good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Verse 20, this is powerful. Abraham never wavered believing God's promise. Do not let the world define faith for you. This defines faith. Abraham, what? He never wavered in believing God's promise. You're going to have an Isaac. But I'm 100. She's 90. This doesn't look good. Abraham never wavered in believing the promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him. And because of Abraham's faith, God did what? God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us, church, that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Faith is believing God's promises even when there's no physical reason to continue to hope. 
So look, I look around the room today and I know that probably there's a lot of you that are struggling with certain things in your life and your family and your health and your circumstance. And you know what faith is? Faith is believing in the promises of God when everything around you doesn't make any sense. When it looks like there's no way he can pull this off, then you don't know him. See, what made Abraham's faith real was he was convinced that regardless of how old he was and how old Sarah was and how crazy this story might look to the outside world, he's God. He's God. He creates the universe with his voice. He makes people from the dust. He can make a baby. He can do that. He's 100, his wife's 90. What hope is there that they'll have a child at that age? Only one hope, faith and love. Faith and love were behind him and with him, and hope is in front of him. That hope wasn't based on nothing. The hope was based on the powerful word of God, the almighty God, Yahweh, Yira, had made him a promise that I'm going to raise from you and from Sarah more children than humans can count. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever. And I've got a question for everyone sitting here today. Are you? Are you fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he has ever said with his voice, with his word? Today, are you fully convinced that God is able to keep his promises to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord? This is what saving faith looks like. As Christians, do you sometimes feel like an alien, a stranger, and foreigner on this earth? Do you feel like you don't belong here? Good, because you don't. We're not supposed to belong here. We're temporary residents on our way to the promised land. That's why the prosperity gospel that is preached in so many churches today is the opposite of true legitimate faith. Why? Because the prosperity gospel preaches that you can have your best life now on this present earth. And it's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says that if you love me, the world will hate you. And the true gospel says that if you love this world or the things this world offers you, the Father's not in you. You have the other Father, the one that leads to death. Church, quit looking at your temporary circumstances. Quit looking at your temporary tent. Quit looking at how old you are or how far you thought you ought to be on this, this um, American dream at this stage of your life. Quit looking at it. Can you imagine Abraham if he'd measured himself under those standards? Set your sights instead on the divine and eternal promises of God. It was the faith of Abraham that made him righteous in the eyes of God, right with God. Today, it is faith in God's promises revealed through the Word, the Bible. Today, we put our faith in the powerful name of Jesus and his atoning blood to make us right with God, to make peace with God. So I'm going to repeat verse 23 and 25. And when God counted him as righteous. Now, here, here's, this always helped me. Maybe it'll help you. It's kind of this business ledger thing. You got a ledger on one side. You got debits. You got credits. So I want you to righteous and unrighteous on a business ledger. Everybody begins as unrighteous. 
So how can I go from ledger on this side to the ledger on this side? How can I go from unrighteous to righteous? The Bible says this, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. So what happened? It's the Bible says multiple locations. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. Credited to him as righteousness. So when Abraham believed that God was able to keep his promise, God took Abraham from the unrighteous column on the ledger and put him in the righteous column on the ledger. What moved Abraham from unrighteous to righteous? God said it. Abraham heard it. He believed it, received it, and lived it, and hoped it. And God took him from the unrighteous to the righteous. And in that sense, he became God's friend. Now listen, you think, well, good job, Abraham. No, no, you haven't read this. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also move us from unrighteous to righteous. He will count us as righteous if... If, there's a condition, if we believe in him, whom? Abraham? No. Believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us, me and you, right, righteous, right, righteous with God, moving from unrighteous to righteous. And now these three remain Two are behind us and with us, and even today, faith and love are behind us, they're with us, and one is in front of us, our blessed hope, our expectancy. And here we are, church, here we are 4,000 years after Abraham, and here we are 2,000 years after Christ. The church is about 2,000 years old, and many today, are you ready? This is my personal observation, 2,000 years after church after Christ, and the church is losing all three. It's losing its faith, it's losing its hope, and it's losing its love. The Bible warned us. It warned us about this in advance. You must hold on to the promises of God by faith. The Apostle Paul told us that the return of Jesus and our bodily resurrection would be preceded by what? He warned us. I've covered it multiple times. He warned us that before Jesus came, before you get the new body that's promised in this uh, Word of God, the church would experience a great falling away. The church would experience an apostasy. A falling away from what? Church. Falling away from what? Faith, hope, and love. The Bible warns us that many would forget about that city that Abraham was waiting for, whose architect and builder is God. The Bible warns us that the church would take its eyes off of the city that is in front of us and begin to put roots down in the earth that is here now. He warns us. The Bible warns us that many would put down roots on this present earth, forgetting 
that this present earth is destined for fire and God's judgment and God's wrath. One of the, I did those 12 sessions through 1 John. You know which one probably moved me as much as any of them? When John looks and says, whatever you do, don't do it. Don't do what? What message would John have to the church? Do not love this world or anything this world offers you. Because if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in you. Heaven's coming. Heaven's coming. Something marvelous is coming. And it's our hope. It's our blessed hope. But the problem is this. It's not here yet. And the time of waiting is the hardest part. Do you think it was easy for Abraham in that 25 years to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait? Do you think it's easy for the church through all these generations of 2,000 years to wait and wait and wait? The time of waiting is the hardest part. But you know what the truth is? Faith is perfected in the time of waiting. Love is perfected in the time of waiting. Hope is perfected in the time of waiting. Why do I say that? Because it is not legitimate if it cannot wait. It is illegitimate if you cannot wait. Like Abraham, we're in the time of waiting. Like Abraham, we're all foreigners living in temporary tents. But we have the Word of God. We know what's coming. We know about the resurrection of the last day. When everybody's going to, all the believers, the children of God are going to get an eternal permanent tent body. We know not, right? You know this, right? We know not to get too attached to this present world. We know not to get too attached to this temporary kingdom of Satan. Why? Why? Because it's destined for fire. Who in the world? Who in the world would put all of their hope in a place that is destined for fire? In 2 Peter 3 verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. You know this, right? And the very elements themselves will, be dis will disappear in the fire. You know this, right? You went to church, so you know this, Right? And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. You know this, right? Somebody told you. And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, you know this, right? So you wouldn't, you wouldn't put all your hopes and dreams in a place that's destined for fire, would you? You know this, right? And since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire. You know this, right? And the elements will melt away in the flames. You know this. 
but we're looking forward. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I haven't even read it yet. We already have a hallelujah. And we're looking forward. These are the real children of God. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. He promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. Looking forward and waiting for these things to happen. You know, that's mentioned three times in that text. And can I ask you a question? Is that you looking forward and waiting? Be honest. Is that you? Like Abraham, don't look at your present circumstances. Church, stop looking at your present circumstances. Do not look at your fading temporary tent. There had to be a point in Abraham's life when he looked at Sarah and says, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> Though his body was as good as dead, he had the promise of God. He had the love of God. He had the word of God. And so do you. You want to make it complicated? You don't have to. So do you. The Hebrew writer gives the church an encouragement and a warning in the same text. Hebrews 6.11 Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. In order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. And then you'll not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and what? Because of their faith and their endurance. Faith, hope, and love. Faith and love are behind us and with us today. Hope is out in front of us. And we are called by God to live with expectancy. Something marvelous is coming over that next hill. Heaven's coming. We put it on our t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies. Why? So that we never forget the real thing that we hope for. You know, I've been now in some form of preaching ministry for 30 years. In the last 20 years, you know the number one criticism that I have personally received, the ones at least I hear about. There may be more. Number one. You ready? Number one criticism that I personally get. I talk too much about heaven. I talk too much about the return of Christ. You laugh. What's that say about the church? The number one criticism. Want, you ought to be talking about this other stuff. You know, a lot of this stuff. You talk too much about it. And you know what? I acknowledge. Sometimes I feel like I talk too much about it too. And I try, but I can't stop. I do. And here's why. If you don't hear anything, would you please hear what I'm about to say? I have a fear. It's a legitimate fear. It is a real fear. This is it. I fear that if I ever lost my hope and my expectancy, that I would also in the same moment lose my faith and my love of God. 
because I think they're the same. I don't think they're disconnected. I think that the very fact that I can't stop thinking about what he's got coming over that hill is the reason my faith remains strong and my love of God remains constant. It's based upon my hope. They are forever connected inside my heart. So here's my closing today. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the last day when you're going to get a new tent and a permanent residence would be preceded by an apostasy when the church would reject faith, hope, and love. Why? In the time of waiting, they will reject. In the time, it's been 2,000 years. In the time of waiting, they would reject faith, hope, and love. We are in our time of waiting. And everything in the Scripture and all the world events are crying out, at least to those who have ears to hear, that the return of Christ is near. And even if his return is a hundred years from now, from an eternal perspective, you will meet him soon. You're listening? From eternity's perspective, you're going to meet him soon. And God has given us his precious promises, and he always keeps his word. And in Hebrews 6.13, it says this, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. And since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath by his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently. What? He waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to him. Run! We have fled to him for refuge. We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Today, I declare to you the necessity of hope. I have seen with my own eyes what happens to people when they lose their hope. You think in these past 23 years here at Nineveh, I have not witnessed people who have lost their hope. It's a darkness that blocks out all the light. We have a word for it. It's hopelessness. It's a darkness that blocks out all light. They cannot see. Any, you tell them something marvelous is coming over the hill, they can't see this moment. 
They can't see anything in the future. It's hopelessness. Today, I declare to the church the necessity of hope. This is what keeps us secure in the time of waiting. This is why the martyrs of the old, in the New Testament church, why they endured suffering and they endured death, denounced Christ and live. And they said, no, he is my hope. You cannot take my hope. I would rather die than give up my hope. Because to give up my hope is to die. It's the same thing. You're not going to trick me out of life itself. And today I declare to you today that if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are hopeless. Nothing good is coming. Nothing. Nothing. Only darkness. Only darkness. And God offers you life. Life. Like Abraham, we live in the time of waiting. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And you know what the Bible says? And he became God's friend. Friend. Abraham believed and I declare today I do too. Abraham believed and so do I. I believe that God is able to keep his promise to me. I believe God is able to keep his promise to this church. And I'm telling you today, something marvelous is coming. It's just over that next hill, and it's so, so close. He's going to replace these temporary tent bodies with a permanent one. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. And he's going to remove us from this temporary world and place us forever in his eternal kingdom. And there we will be with him forevermore. Is that your hope today? It's within your reach. It's yours if you put your faith, hope, and love inside this Messiah, this Christ. His name is Jesus. And now these three remain. Faith and love are behind us and with us, and hope is out in front of us. Romans 8, 22. For we know, we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of future glory, we still groan. Why are we groaning? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope. For the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when? When we were saved. Don't read past that. We were given something when he saved us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and we must wait confidently. That's faith. We were given this hope when we were saved. Can I ask you a question? Everybody, did you get yours? Did, did you get yours? We were given this hope when we were saved. Did you get your hope? So that begs a question, are you saved? The Apostle Paul calls it a mystery. A mystery that, was be, that would be revealed in the last days of the church. 
He describes it like this. Jews and Gentiles can both share in the inheritance. Jews and Gentiles, it won't matter. They all can become Isaacs. They can all become the children of God and receive a blessed hope. Ephesians 2.11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You know, he's talking to every person in this room today. You used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, we, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's our previous condition. And then Christ came. He changed everything. We used to live in this world without God and without hope. But now, but now, say those two words, but now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. All oh, the necessity of hope. Did you get yours? The grace of God and the Word of God has revealed our blessed hope today. The time of waiting is testing to see if your faith is real. The time of waiting is testing to see if your hope is real and your love of God is real. Is it? Last scripture, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, Jews and Gentiles. And we are instructed to turn from godless living. We're supposed to turn from sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Today, we look forward with anticipation and hope, even in the midst of worldwide despair, even in the midst of world godliness that is beyond even my comprehension. Faith and love are behind us and with us and hope is in front of us. And you might ask the question, he says, and the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love is the reason for these. There could be no faith or hope without love. So be honest today. As I look at this picture, I want to ask all of you to use your imagination and be honest with yourself. What do you see in your future? 50 years from now, if the Lord tarries, what, what's your future? 100 years from now, where will you be? Where will you be? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I told you that the number one criticism I get is I talk about heaven's coming and the return of Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. 
I make no apology for this. When I ask you to look at that green, beautiful scene and say, what do you see coming over that hill? I'm going to tell you what I see. This is my hope. I'm not going to apologize for it. I see a, a bright light in the sky. And I hear a, a loud shout. And I hear the voice of the archangel. And a trumpet will blow. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. And those children of God who are redeemed, who live by faith, hope, and love, they're going to rise right behind those who are dead believers. They're going to rise, and all of them are going to receive eternal flesh as they meet Jesus in the clouds. That's what I see. That's my future. And because that's my future, I can deal with pretty much anything today. Because no one's ever shown me anything today that's bigger than that. No one's ever shown me anything right now that's bigger or better than that. So on that, I put my hope. But I tell you today, if you're in this room today and you do not have Christ inside of you, you are hopeless. And today offers you hope. You receive that hope when you're saved. When you receive salvation, you get hope. But without salvation, you have no hope. In fact, you have the opposite. You're hopeless. But today, that can change. At least for now, there's still a door open. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you give us hope. You are our hope. There's no hope unless you're in us. For you are life. And if we have you, we have life. If we don't have you, we don't have life. So, Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit has to give us ears to hear. Your Holy Spirit has to give us eyes that can see. You are our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. The invitation's open.